0: all right good morning once again it's great to see you here and i'm glad that we get to open god's word and uh, continue in our teaching series called imprint 2022 Uh, we have been for the past eight weeks in a teaching series a learning adventure uh, really focusing on the classical christian spiritual disciplines and uh, last week we transitioned into the outward disciplines Uh, We spent the weeks before that in the inward disciplines like scripture study and meditation, prayer, fasting, and then last week we talked about simplicity. We talked about the inward attitudes of simplicity, and then today is part two of that simplicity focus, and we're talking about the outward expressions of simplicity. Uh, A little bit of housekeeping as we get started, Uh, two of the main books that I utilized in putting this teaching series together outside of the Bible, of course, is... uh, a book by uh, Richard Foster called Celebration of Discipline. I've lost the dust jacket because, fun fact, I got this when I was going to Evangel College in uh, in the 90s. So, uh, yeah, it's been around the block. Speaking of been around the block, look at this bad boy. Um, this is Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. This is another classic. Uh, it's been pretty beat up, but it's... Uh, the <laughs> Full disclosure, I don't know how it got so beat up. It wasn't for me. Uh, some people, you know, you show off a Christian book, especially about spiritual disciplines, like, oh, he must be really holy. <laughs> Look how worn that book is. It's not for. It was a backpack, I think, that did that to it. Anyway, uh, in our office, I found three copies of uh, Donald Whitney's uh, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. So I've got three copies of this. If anyone's just hankering for a book uh, to jump in and learn a little bit more, this is a great one. Uh will be three copies. Don't take the ratty one. That's mine. Alright, so, so today is, our, is week 9 of the Imprint 2022 series. It is Simplicity Part 2. That's the name of our sermon today, our, our, our lesson today. Simplicity Part 2. We uh, find ourselves in a sad state of affairs. We have discovered, and science backs this up, the accumulation of things does not equal happiness. The accumulation of things does not equal happiness. So most of us can like quietly nod to that, like true, true, Uh, but do we know that? Because man, I find myself chasing my tail all the time believing that if I could just get this thing, or if I could get that, or I could just uh, have enough of this or that, I would be happy. That would be finally enough, but we found that enough is elusive. Happiness is elusive. And it's not to be found with, the, with a bigger pile of stuff in our life. Strangely and sadly. You've seen that bumper sticker that says, he who dies with the most toys wins? Guys, I think that's a lie. Very often, he who dies with the most toys might be losing, actually. He might be living such a crowded, overstuffed life that he's really lacking in one of the most important things happiness in Jesus the happiness I mean we're in church so like Jesus no <laughs> yes Jesus and happiness right but here's what we know misery haunts those with too much as well as those with too little misery haunts those with too much as well as those with too little perhaps you found this to be true Being overstuffed and overloaded is just as miserable as being understuffed and underloaded, right? Having too much is almost as bad as having not enough. I mean, case in point, the super wealthy. The super wealthy among us, the richest, the most popular, the most famous, are often the most miserable. I mean, they're the ones uh, that are the most messed up. And how can this be? They had everything at their fingertips. They had everything, more than uh, enough, all around them, at all the time, and yet they still went sideways, and the wheels came off. What? I don't know. We Americans, just normal Americans, we've often proved this to be true as well. More than almost anyone else in the history of the world, we are the ones with, with too much, and we are often the most miserable. So what can Scripture say to us today? What can Scripture say to us to steady our weary, overloaded hearts, our listing spirits? What might the Holy Spirit uh, speak to us to awaken us to a different way? Is there a way in following Jesus that leads us through the muddle, that leads us through the distractions and the, distra- the, 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 um, the misery that awaits us in either ditch, too much, and too little. I think of Proverbs, uh, the 30th Proverbs, so Proverbs 30, uh, 7 through 16, uh, especially verses 7 through 9, where we find some wisdom from the writer of Proverbs talking about the middle path of simplicity. The middle path of simplicity where we learn to enjoy what is enough. We enjoy our daily bread. If you want to turn to uh, Proverbs 30, Let's read uh, 7 through 16, but pay close attention to 7 through 9. Oh God, I beg two, fav- two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me never to tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I might deny you and say, Who is the Lord? And if I'm too poor... I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. Never slander a worker to the employer, or the person will curse you and you will pay for it. Some people curse their father and do not thank their mother. They are pure in their own eyes, but they are filthy and unwashed. They look proudly around, casting disdainful glances. They have teeth like swords and fangs like like knives. They devour the poor from the earth and the needy from among humanity. Verse 15, the leech has two suckers that cry out, more, more. That's a good verse, everyone's like, what's your life verse, uh, Proverbs 30, 15? <laughs> the leech has two suckers that cry out, more, more. There are three things that are never satisfied, no, four that never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, the thirsty desert, In the blazing fire, but look at verses seven through nine. There, oh God, I have I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me never to tell a lie. And second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, "Who is the Lord?" And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. Richard Foster defines simplicity for us by saying, the inward reality of simplicity involves a joyful unconcern for possessions. Did you hear that? The inward reality of simplicity involves a joyful unconcern for possessions. Neither the greedy nor the miserly know this liberty. It has nothing to do with abundance or lack of possessions. It is an inward spirit of trust. I like that. joyful unconcern for possessions, an inward spirit of trust. That really reminds us of what we talked about last week. What is our functional definition of simplicity? Let me remind you, it is the gift of living simply and living free. Living free from fear and anxiety, living free from the bondage of excess and gluttonous attitudes, free to fully trust God and to seek first His kingdom. Here we find Richard Foster helpful again. He further expands on simplicity by saying, simplicity is the only thing that sufficiently reorients ourselves so that possessions can be genuinely enjoyed without destroying us. Man, that's a sharp statement. I love it. We, with a spirit of uh, simplicity, is the only thing that sufficiently reorients ourselves so that possessions can be genuinely enjoyed. Okay, we're not being called into this ascetic, dry, joyless experience. No, we're being called to truly, rightly enjoy all the things in our lives. Enjoy them properly without them destroying us, without them becoming idols in our lives that control and dominate us. Things that we can generally enjoy without them destroying us. Let's hear what Jesus says about the life focused on this sort of simplicity. Matthew 6, uh, 25 through 34, Matthew 6, uh, 25 through 34. This is uh, taking us back a little bit to last week. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. This is, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, Jesus says. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at, your, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for their Heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more, far more valuable to Him than they are? So, don't worry about these things, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and He will give you everything you need. So, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So, seek first the kingdom in His righteousness, and don't worry. Don't worry. Last week we talked about the inner attitudes of simplicity, how we, uh, following Jesus, can be led into greater and greater freedom from anxiety and worry about the things of this world. And just to recap, the three inner attitudes of simplicity we talked about. First was to receive what we have as a gift from God. To receive what we have as a gift from God. Secondly, to know it's God's business, not ours, to care for what we have. And three, to have our belongings available to others Gladly and freely. Being willing to share, to let others enjoy what God's blessed us with. When we discover the joy of simplicity, we find a new kind of freedom. We become free. We become free. Uh, Richard Foster says, Simplicity sets us free to receive the provision of God as a gift a gift that is not ours to keep, and a gift that can be freely shared with others. The inner reality of simplicity is not a reality until there is an outward expression. To experience the liberating spirit of simplicity will affect how we live. You can't be harboring this inner spirit, inner attitude of simplicity without it showing up in your life and the way that you're living the way that you're interacting so the inner attitudes of simplicity lead necessarily to the outward expressions of simplicity so what i'd like to do is spend the bulk of our time today uh talking about the outward expressions of simplicity and i want to give you 10 hot takes on outward expressions of simplicity or, or or 10 insights or 10 thoughts about how we express outwardly simplicity appropriately in our lives now these are not gospel you might be able to add or take away from this list but here's what I've got for you today number one if you're a list taker you're gonna be in hog heaven today I got ten things to tell you and you can number your page right now if you want one through ten but leave some space because I'm gonna jibber-jabber about each one number one buy things for their usefulness rather than their status or trendiness. How do I start to start ordering my outward expression? How do I start living more simply? Well, here's the first thing. Buy things for their usefulness rather than their status or trendiness. Uh, From cars to clothing, choose for utility and necessity and not prestige or pride. You understand what I'm saying there? Choose for utility and necessity. Uh, drive cars and wear clothes until it's really necessary to replace them. Um, what this often will mean, and I've known people that do this pretty well, they will actually intentionally spend a bit more upfront on clothing that has a lifetime guarantee, uh, can be replaced at any point, or will just last longer, uh, a car that will last longer and be more reliable because they know that that's a better investment over time. So uh, uh, look for quality and durability over novelty. Uh, Stop trying to impress people with your stuff so much. Um, Impress them with the substance of your life, with the content of your character. Those things make a bigger difference anyway. I would rather run into someone and come away saying, man, that guy, I love how he sees the world. I love how he loves Jesus and his wife and his kids. I, I would rather be able to say that about Grady than that guy had amazing pants. Look at those parachute pants those all those zippers are real pockets amazing no I mean you get what i 'm saying though Buy things for their usefulness rather than their status or trendiness. so number two, reject anything that is producing an addiction in you consciously intentionally. Uh, With intensity, reject anything that is producing an addiction in you. An addiction is, by very nature, something that is seeking to control you. When I say addiction, some of you might be thinking, oh, drugs. Well, yes, it can be drugs, but it can also be food. It can be sex. It can be social media. It can be watching the stock market. It can be shopping. It can be uh, Amazon therapy. That hits a little close to home. When I'm bored, man, I'm on Amazon sometimes. It's just like, why am I ordering doilies? I I don't even need them. Uh, But, you know, check yourself. Shopping can sometimes be uh, controlling in our lives. Uh, A need for approval. These things can really direct how we're interacting with others. And if we're honest, we'll notice that it's... An addiction. It is controlling us. Uh, simplicity is about freedom. It is about uh, overcoming slavery. Refuse to be a slave to anything but God and His will in your life. Now, if you've ever identified an addiction or an addictive behavior in your life, you know that just deciding not to do it. <laughs> is sometimes an exercise in futility. It's really hard to come some, overcome something by sheer resolve or willpower if it's truly an addictive behavior. Anyone found that to be true? Yeah. So we must allow God, we must allow others to have access to our lives if we are ever to be healed and to be set free. We have to make others, uh, bring others in painfully close to see what's going on in our lives. We need to hear ourselves say, I have an unhealthy addiction. I spend way too much money and way too much time on things that don't satisfy. I've ordered way too many doilies off Amazon. (laughs) Please help me stop. So anyway, reject anything that is producing an addiction in you. Number three, develop a habit of giving things away. I think the habit of intentional habit of giving things away could be listed, if I were to write a book like this, might list it as another spiritual discipline. There's something freeing and wholesome to just giving something away with expect, while expecting nothing in return. Um, deaccumulate. Deaccumulate. Too much stuff unnecessarily complicates our lives. Most people in this room today could, could get rid of half of their possessions without serious sacrifice. I stood this morning in my closet and looked at the just accumulation of clothing, stuff I haven't, I haven't even, I mean, there might be dinosaur bones in between some of these pairs of pants or whatever in my closet. It's like, uh, why do I even have this stuff? We could get rid of half of the things at our house and really not suffer at all. I mean, we could really, it wouldn't be that great of a sacrifice. If you find that you're becoming too attached to something, consider giving it away or at least letting someone else use it or borrow it remember my lawnmower story from last week uh, not that I'm attached to lawnmowers I just want to protect my stuff because people are going to come and break it and ruin it and do bad things you know but I need to practice giving it away lending it in the area of money the regular practice of giving tithes and offerings is valuable in helping us get free and to stay free from the addictive power of money Uh, that's not the only way but being part of a church fellowship every week we say we view the giving of tithes and offerings as an intimate expression of faith and worship it's an invitation for you to practice that open-handed living that says God I freely receive from your goodness and your generosity and so I'm gonna give freely and generously to others you know you give your tithe to your church but with offerings man you've got tons of latitude Sponsoring kids with compassion or world world vision, sponsoring missionaries, sponsoring humanitarian work, things that really resonate in your heart. Practice giving. That helps us stay free from the addictive power of money. So number three was develop a habit of giving things away. Number four, beware of the newer, faster, sexier version of what you already have. Beware. Sometimes you need to upgrade, yes. I'm not that guy, but beware. Beware of the newer, faster, sexier version of what you already have. Uh, There's a thing called engineered obsolescence. Does anyone know what that is? Things are designed to over time dissatisfy you. The way things are marketed, the way things are even constructed is to make you unhappy later on. I mean, it's like a cell phone. Intentionally becomes throttled down over time so that your experience with that phone sucks worse and worse until you're just like, okay, I need a new phone you know it's like you're made to not like the experience anymore so engineered obsolescence and engineered dissatisfaction they are powerful and seductive did you know the iphone was introduced in 2007 some of you might be thinking oh that's from like the 1900s no it's not 2007 yet we are on the cusp of i believe iphone 14 now right Am anyone paying more attention than me about that okay I think we're up to iPhone 14 but if we're honest it would be great to have an iPhone 14 but if we're honest has every new iPhone model been that urgent or that necessary if we're honest we upgrade most things in our life to improve our mood we want to feel better. We want to look better. No one wants to be using an old, rounded-edged iPhone anymore. I mean, uh, heaven forbid. We've got to have the big one. We've got to have the new one. We upgrade most things in our life to improve our mood, our image, or our status. Yet, new versions rarely add significantly to productivity, capability, or overall satisfaction. So just be aware beware we live in a fast-paced world where stuff's upgraded all the time but sometimes it's just shock horror so that the manufacturer can make more money I know so beware of the newer faster sexier version of what you already have number five learn to enjoy things without having to own them learn to enjoy things without having to own them individualism and private ownership is an obsession a long-standing obsession in Western culture We want to stake our claim. We want to make it ours. If we own it, we feel like we can control it. If we control it, we think we will value it and enjoy it more, but do we? Do we enjoy it more because we own it? Ownership requires time, requires energy, and it requires lots of money. Sharing things requires flexibility and a willingness to let go of things like privacy. And that is hard. I want the whole park to myself. I want the trails in the woods to myself. But I've got to learn to share, because I can't afford Fellows Lake. I can't afford all the trails out in the woods. Um, But sharing things, being flexible, and uh, willing to let go of some things, it helps us to stay free from the controlling power It stops feeding our control issues in a lot of cases. Here's the thing. It is possible to enjoy the beach without feeling like you have to own it. Enjoy the beach. Enjoy the forest without feeling like you have to buy a piece of it. Okay? Just go and enjoy it. Okay. Number six. What was that? That was number five. So learn to enjoy things without having to own them. Number six. Get outside. Enjoy a deeper appreciation and deeper connection with creation. Get outside and enjoy a deeper connection uh, with creation. Spend more time in nature. Sometimes just getting away from the computer, uh, getting outside and doing something that's just actually meaningful and uh, restorative, uh, helps you step out of the sway, out of the current of just more stuff and more buying. Spend time more time in nature, slow down, listen, look, make yourself an assignment to take a nap under a tree. How many of you have taken a nap under a tree in the last decade? Some have, right, but make yourself an assignment this week. I'm gonna try to go fall asleep under a tree somewhere. There's something really wholesome and right about that. Annie Dillard said, spend the afternoon. You can't take it with you. See the time that we've been given, the afternoon we have today as as something of worth and a value that you get to spend wisely and well. Spend the afternoon, you can't take it with you. So garden, hike. Pattle, bike disconnect flee the city enter the wilderness walk or ride to work eat your lunch outside turn the TV off get all the vitamin D you want from the Sun get sweaty and go to bed tonight feeling a good tired because you were playing because you were outside buy experiences over things Parents, seriously, your kids will remember the stuff you did with them way more than the stuff you bought them. Buy experiences over things. So get outside, enjoy a deeper appreciation for creation. Number seven: Avoid unnecessary debt. Be skeptical of buy now, pay later schemes. Uh, impatience and lack of discipline are the most are the most common reasons for debt. Impatience and lack of discipline. Indebtedness. Uh, and charging interest. It obstructs community and it sorts us into lenders and debtors. It causes tension, especially between family and friends. This is why it's very seldom a good idea to lend money to a family member or a friend. If you can't just give them the money and just not expect it in return, don't even do it because it's gonna create tension. It's gonna be a divisive issue very easily. Worst, worst yet, debt, it enslaves us and it keeps us from being able to give. It, in, it, it keeps us from being able to serve and to go where God leads. Uh, early in our married life, uh, my wife and I had finished my undergraduate and uh, started at seminary classes. I uh, had an opportunity to go be missionaries uh, serving youth in military communities in Germany, which was part of the ministry that my wife Christy grew up a part of, with, uh, I believe it was with YWAM and they were very interested in us, we were very interested in going, but as we started working through the application process, what do you think came up as a big issue? Debt. We had too much debt. We would have to raise our support, but a large percentage of that support could not be going toward debt repayment. So we faced with a door of opportunity, something we would have loved to have done. We had to say, I'm sorry, we can't do that because we have too much dumb debt. Now, there's a difference between debt that you accrued honestly and dumb debt, but I'll refer you to Dave Ramsey on that. But but anyway, we had to say no because we had said yes to some really dumb debt in our lives. So uh, I want to be able to go where God leads. I want you to be able to go where God leads. So beware of bringing on unnecessary debt into your life. Okay. Let's see. uh, Number eight. Obey Jesus' teachings about plain and honest speech. Obey Jesus' teachings about plain and honest speech. Look at Matthew 5:33 through 37. You've also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out your vows you make to the Lord, Jesus said. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say, by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say, by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say, by Jerusalem. Who says that? (laughs) By Zeus's beard. (laughs) Don't say, by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say, by man's head. (laughs) All right. Uh, for, you, for you can't turn one hair white or black, just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. There's something simple and freeing in that. So it's not just about your stuff, it's about your engagements. It's about your interactions that can sometimes uh, create complexity. Uh, so it's not just stuff. Obey Jesus' teachings about plain and honest speech. Make integrity and honesty hallmarks of your conversations. Make integrity and honesty hallmarks of your conversations. Do your best to always avoid flattery and half-truths. That's hard, isn't it? I mean, if any of you struggle for, with an unhealthy need for acceptance and approval, it's really hard not to speak half-truths and flattery. Now, to be honest. Um, I've probably told you things, said things to you that are only half-true about, about you. <laughs> no, I, I'm really working on this, I'm aware of it, so I try to do better, but still, in my insecurity, and in my w- desire for acceptance, sometimes I won't say the hard thing, I'll say kind of part of the hard thing, but not the whole hard thing, just because I don't want you to be mad, I don't want you to think uh, something bad about me. Uh, so, I, we do best to avoid flattery and half-truths. Gossip and lies, they sabotage your character, they kill relationships, and they complicate lies. If you remember nothing else I said, remember this. Mark Twain has some of the best quips and quotes. Mark Twain said, always tell the truth, then you don't have to remember anything. And that's the best. If you just told the truth, you don't have to remember. Which is great because I forget all the time. It's like, what would you say? I don't remember. I don't remember. But if you tell the truth, you don't need to. Because you just told the truth. There's integrity in how you spoke. Always tell the truth and you don't have to remember anything. So obey Jesus' teachings about plain and honest speech. Number nine. Refuse to purchase or participate in anything that oppresses, enslaves, or harms others. Refuse to purchase or participate in anything that oppresses, enslaves, or harms others. Is the way we live or are the things we buy forcing others into economic slavery, either here or somewhere else in the world? I think we have to be conspicuous, we have to be conscious consumers. Is what I'm buying at this really low price coming at the cost of someone else's uh, livelihood or their freedom? Is the way I'm living or the things I'm buying forcing others into economic slavery either here or somewhere in the world? Is my greed or my insecurity or my lack of discipline, is it causing suffering for others? Is it, causing, uh, is it causing suffering or poverty for others? I read a story one time in a book, I think it was called The Walmart Effect, about a jeans, a factory in Bangladesh that was making jeans for Walmart that were selling on the shelves for $7. That's a great deal, jeans are expensive. If you've ever shopped for jeans, they're not cheap. Seven dollar jeans at Walmart, what a deal. Well, this book told the story that oftentimes when a seamstress was falling behind on their ridiculous quotas on how many pockets they had to sew on the back of these jeans, it was not uncommon for the supervisor on the floor to walk, be walking around giving warnings, giving uh, punishments, but in in, in certain circumstances, in, 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 uh, Certain situations, pulling the jeans out of the sewing machine of the seamstress and whipping the worker with the $7 jeans. Whipping the worker with the jeans. The same jeans that were showing up on our shelf at our Walmart for $7, and that somebody in the room might be wearing a pair of $7 jeans from Walmart that was used to whip and beat the woman sewing the pockets on the back of them. Something about that makes me sick to my stomach. Holy smokes, is there any way to guarantee that stuff like that isn't happening? No, but you are responsible for what you do know. So look into the the supply chains. Look into how things are being made. Guys, we get a bunch of stuff. I'm on a soapbox. Um, We get a bunch of stuff from China. And China regularly makes prisoners. Our Christian brothers and sisters that are imprisoned for no other reason but their faith in Jesus to work for no pay in slave-like conditions to make the products that we enjoy. So do your research and find out, man, am I complicit in this? I mean, that which you didn't know about, I mean, you can't really be held responsible for that, but if you do know about it, you have an opportunity and a a responsibility to do something better, okay? So beware of the $7 jeans. Eat, drink, and buy with a clear conscience. Eat, drink, and buy with compassion. Buy local when you can, choose fair trade, etc., and maybe be conspicuous about where you shop because you know where their stuff comes from. Okay, so refuse to participate in, or purchase and participate in anything that oppresses, enslaves, or harms others. Number ten, renounce anything that distracts or prevents us from seeking first the kingdom of God. Renounce anything that distracts us or prevents us from seeking first the kingdom of God. It is easy to lose focus. It is easy to lose focus in the pursuit of legitimate needs and good things. Things like our job, our our education, our career, family, friends, uh, acceptance, respect, security, success. These things are all meaningful, and to some degree, uh, they're they're good things. They're important things. But beware. Beware. I would like to say this. Beware of the balanced life. Beware of the balanced life life things may be balanced in your life but you're still overloaded and exhausted if you imagine like a a seesaw or a or a, a fulcrum with a board across the top you can load more and more stuff on either end and make it balance right but what happens when you reach the point where it's just too much what's gonna happen it's gonna break It's going to crack right down the middle because even though it was balanced, it was just too much. So beware of the balanced life. Maybe you found yourself in that situation before where you're trying to make everything work and you're still somehow able to pay the bills, you go to church, you get your kid to soccer practice on time, but you are wiped out, you are overspent, and you're deeply unfulfilled. You've got so much stuff in your life but none of it seems to satisfy so what if what if instead of the balanced life you pursued a centered life a life centered in Jesus following him listening to him and ordering your life around his way a simple and free way of living learning more and more to trust and enjoy God's good gifts Centered in Jesus, asking first, Jesus, where would you lead me today? How would you lead me to live? What is the better, more life-giving, more joyful decision in this opportunity? We prioritize communion with God in that centered life. We prioritize communion with God. We start the day in the Word. We start the day in prayer. We seek out life-giving people, and we work hard, and then we make time to rest and to play. Uh, There's a book by Randy Frazzi called Making Room for Life, which was just a pivotal book for me But uh, when I read it first, but at Randy Frazzi, he has what's called the Jewish, he calls it the Jewish Day Planner The Jewish Day Planner, you look at your day, 24-hour day, divided into three sections Eight hours for work, eight hours for play, and eight hours for rest And that's, everyone's like, well, what about commuting? I don't know, but eight hours for work eight hours for play, eight hours for rest. Intentionally, see your rest, your play, and your work is equally important. What you're doing when you're not working is a lot of times more important than what you're doing at work. Being at home, being with your wife, your kids, your friends, playing outside. These are the things that restore us. And have depth and meaning. So eight hours a day to work, eight hours a day to play, eight hours a day to rest. When we seek first the kingdom of God, when we keep that central, everything else finds its proper place and we are more free to receive it and to enjoy it. You know what it's like for your schedule to be out of bounds, for work to be just a a tyrant, to be encroaching on your family life. You get up before the kids are off to school and you're back after they're getting ready for bed. It's miserable. You know when that creek is out of its banks. Eight hours, eight hours, eight hours. Something to shoot for. But uh, that will help us stay centered on the things that matter most. So as we finish up, beware and be encouraged. Beware and be encouraged. The spiritual discipline of simplicity is the most easily corrupted, so beware. It's the most easily corrupted. It's tempting to pursue the outward expressions of simplicity without first cultivating the inner attitudes of simplicity. Okay, It's easy to move the stuff around, the deck chairs around, without really addressing what's going on inside. So that temptation very easily leads to pride and a sense of superiority. Um, It can lead to rigidity and legalism. Your pursuit of simplicity can become another soul-killing religious exercise and not something that's driving us further into fidelity to Christ and pursuit of His kingdom. Okay, so be careful. A person living without things is no guarantee that he or she is uh, experiencing simplicity. Just because you do stuff or don't do stuff living without stuff doesn't mean that you are living simply focus upon the kingdom first helps produce the necessary inward reality and without the inward reality of simplicity we will eventually degenerate into legalism and saddest of all we will miss true simplicity altogether we will miss the joy that comes from simplicity so what do we do first? We seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, which begins with those inner inward practices. We seek first God and God's kingdom and his righteousness uh, through the spiritual disciplines of scripture, meditation and study, and prayer and fasting. Then we secondly we cultivate the inner attitudes of simplicity by trusting God to give us what we need and asking the Holy Spirit to help us and to guide us in its usage and its enjoyment. Third, we facilitate and we discover all the ways that simplicity can and should find expression in our lives for the glory of God and for the blessing of others. Okay, see that progression? Begin in the Word. Begin in prayer. Discipline the inner life. And then cultivate those inner attitudes of simplicity and then help those find expression in how you're living outwardly. So, may we, become, may we come to terms with how the relentless pursuit of the balanced American life might be harming us. May we come to terms with that. That excess accumulation does not bring happiness. It never has and it never will. And it might actually be harming us. And it might actually be harming others. May we seek and may we find Christ in His kingdom as we embrace His righteousness through faith. And may the fullness of simplicity and a joyful unconcern for things mark your life and truly set you free. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you care enough for us to send Jesus and that Jesus would come and he would uh, share with us a way that leads to life and a way that leads to freedom that would be less and less encumbered and held down and unable to follow you because of our stuff. Lord, just this morning when I heard the, word, the, the, the scripture about Jesus and the rich young ruler, and, and uh, rich young ruler is doing so many things right. But there's one thing lacking, and Jesus tells him to go and sell all this stuff and give it to the poor and then follow him. The rich young ruler was very sad. He was very sad because he had great wealth. And God, that word just really hung in my heart. How many times have I been unwilling or unable to follow you because I have so much stuff and I'm unwilling to part with it when you ask? Well, I pray that you'd bring uh, a healing conviction into our lives. Give us eyes to see uh, where we've uh, wandered into excess, where we've uh, maybe crafted some idols in our lives through our possessions and through our uh, grasping. I pray that you give us hearts that are set on freedom and that are desiring first and foremost your kingdom and your righteousness. Lord, I pray that we would hear clearly that this is not uh, an outside-in maneuver. It's not an outside-in prospect. Your desire is for our hearts to become free and our hearts to be set on on, uh, honoring you and blessing others. And out of that, these things flow. Your desire is that our roots would grow down deep into the fertile soil and the life-giving water that you offer us through your Holy Spirit and that then it would produce fruit that would bless so many others. So God, I pray that we would be ordered rightly in this and we would also be motivated to start even now living more freely, following Jesus down that middle path of simplicity. So I pray for my friends as they sit as they interact with you, I pray that you would speak the words they need to hear, point out the things that they need to recognize, so that um, starting now, we're pursuing something new, something better. We're forsaking the balanced American life for the centered Christian life, the life centered, oriented around Jesus and His way. So God, work that truth deeply into our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. We're going to worship one more song, spend one more song in worship. And this is a chance for you to sit with the Lord and lay all these things before Him and say, God, what's the right starting point here? I've talked about a lot. I mean, 10, 10 really, 10 points. (laughs) Yeah, but one of those things might be registered with you a little more deeply. And maybe that's the starting point that the Holy Spirit's kind of like, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Let's start there. So it starts with obedience, commit to that, and then let's see where it goes from there, okay?